Okay, guys, so we have this section of our Old Testament survey. We've worked through two books so far. We went through Genesis. We spent a long time in Genesis. There's a lot there. We spent somewhat of a long time, except towards the end, in Exodus, because there's a lot there. Now we're getting ready to work our way into, we are, we're working our way into Leviticus today. And Leviticus is the third book of the five that's known as the Pentateuch. Okay, so we're going to do an introductory lesson today. We're going to refresh ourselves about the books of the law, and then we're going to just give you some introductory material about Leviticus. Now, let's first of all, we're going to start with the nature of the books of the law, okay? The books of the law are the first five books, okay? The books of the law are the first five books. So this is part of the section of the Hebrew canon called the Torah, or teachings, or law. Now, this is very important for you to know. So like, for instance, if you're reading through Psalms and David is saying, I meditate on your law day and night. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about these five books. Okay? So he's not talking about when he meditates on the law, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about he's meditating on the first five books, the books of Moses here, all right? So when you go to the New Testament and you you learn about a group in the Jewish, basically made of high priests and aristocrats who are the Sadducees, and they only hold to the law or the Torah or the first five books, you know that this group, the Sadducees, only believed that the scripture was these first five books. They didn't pay attention to the words of the prophets or anything else. Okay? So it's, it's important for you to understand that this first section of the Hebrew canon, okay, or the Hebrew Bible, is called the Torah, the teachings, or the law. Okay? Torah, the teachings, and the law. Now, this section in the Septuagint is known as the Pentateuch, or the five scrolls. This section in the Septuagint is known as the Pentateuch, or the five scrolls. Now you're saying, okay, George, I'm, I can't remember what in the world's the Septuagint. Well, all right, so remember, there was a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Anybody remember Alexander the Great? He was a young guy, pretty brash. He conquered most of the world at that time. What, was he Greek or was he Roman? Was he Jewish? What nationality was Alexander the Great? He was Greek. Okay, so when he conquered the world, he basically Hellenized the world. They, when you talk about making it Greek, you refer to it as Hellenized, okay? And, and that's because when Greeks refer to themselves, or to their own nation, they, they refer to it as Hellas, okay? So he Greek the whole world, so to speak. When he formed, and this is before his death, he formed the city of Alexandria. There was a major, and for 400 years after that, in Greek domination, Alexandria became a city of learning, and there was a major group of Jews who lived there. And this group of Jews decided that they wanted to translate 
the Hebrew text into Greek. And that translation is what we know as is the Septuagint. Okay? The Septuagint. So in the Septuagint, these first five books that are called the Torah, the Law, or the Teachings in the Hebrew were known as the Pentateuch. Okay? Or, and the Pentateuch means five scrolls. Alright? Pentateuch, of course we know Penta means five. It's kind of like the Pentagon. You know, of course there's five sides in a Pentagon. Alright, so after Genesis, each book begins with a conjunction and, except the book of Numbers. So if you were to look at the text, when you move from Genesis over to Exodus, the very first word in the original languages is and. So that reflects that they are a unit. They're a continuation of each other. Now that's true for every book or scroll except for the book of Numbers, okay? Except for the book of Numbers. So Genesis through Deuteronomy is a continuous account by Moses concerning creation through Moses' life, okay? Through Moses' life. So they're a unit, all right? They're a unit. And they, to be honest with you, they form the foundation for the entire Jewish nation and how it's to function. It's their shared history and their rules as far as how they are to govern their lives, which they do to this day. Do you understand? Which they do to this day. All right? Now, any questions about the books of the law? Real quick, before we move on. Any questions? All right, so now we're going to get into the book of Leviticus. Now, for the last few weeks, I've kind of been joking about how difficult Leviticus is to read. And so I've joked about the fact that, you know, you try to read through the Bible, you get through Genesis, you get to Exodus, halfway through Exodus, you kind of get bogged down under the law. Then you come to Leviticus, and you're like, I'm done. I throw in the towel. You know what I'm saying? Because it's a lot of law, Levitical laws. Now, I'm joking about it. I, I really don't want to joke about it because it is God's word. And remember what David said. David said, I meditate on it, what? Day and night. So there is something profitable to be gained for you and I from the book of Leviticus. Okay, so I don't want you walking out of here saying, it's the one book George says I don't need to read. No, no, you need to read it, but what we want to do is, is we want to go through the introduction today and give you some background to it and also give you a flow of what you're reading. See, if you understand the flow of it, you'll have a better chance, better time reading it. Did you understand what I'm saying? And that's what we're going to spend the next two to three weeks going through Leviticus to help you to understand it. All right, so here we go. In the Hebrew text... It is the first word of the book. And in the first Hebrew word is, and he called. So the title, the Hebrew title is, and he called. All right? And he called. Well, that's not what's in my Bible. No, no, I'm going to get there. I'm going to tell you how you got to where you have Leviticus. Just bear with me, okay? So in the Hebrew text, it's the first word of the book, and he called. The Talmud, 
or the Mishnah, which are rabbinical writings during the time of Jesus up to about A.D. 2 or 300, called this book the Law of the Priests. Okay? The Talmud, or the Mishnah, called it the Law of the Priests. So this book was called the Law of the Priests. Okay? To Jews around the time of Jesus. Okay? So around the time of Jesus, they referred to this book as the Law of the Priests. Now, from the Septuagint, now the Septuagint translation, it is the Levitical book. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew text, referred to it as the Levitical book. Okay? They referred to it as the Levitical book. You're saying, well, that still doesn't tell me how we got Leviticus. Well, just hold on. I'll tell you here in a second, okay? The Latin Vulgate of Jerome entitled it Leviticus, from which the English title is taken. So the Latin Vulgate, which was written during the Roman Empire by the church father named Jerome, and is still being used today by the Catholic Church, called it Leviticus, okay? They took it from the Greek translation, which said Levitical book. Jerome made it Leviticus. And of course, our English translation, which were translated by the Reformers, and what does Reform mean? They were trying to reform the Christian faith from the Catholic faith. And they referred, they just took the name Leviticus. And that's why when you look at your Bible, it's Leviticus. Okay? It's Leviticus. You're not going to see that anywhere else in the text. Now, this is an interesting name for the book. Okay? There's a reason why it's an interesting name. The title seems odd considering that the Levites are only mentioned once in the text. Isn't that interesting? Levites, which supposedly this book is named after, are only mentioned one time in the book. Okay? One time in the book. Now, greater minds than I are the ones who chose the title. Okay? But for, but just seems odd because they're only mentioned the Levites once in the text. Okay? Once in the text. Now, let's talk about the date of the book. Leviticus was written by Moses probably shortly after the composition of Exodus. So this book was written shortly after the time that the book of Exodus was written. Okay? And that only makes sense. This is a unit. Okay? The five books are a unit. Alright, so sometime shortly after the composition of the book of Exodus. If you'd like to know a date, I would encourage you to go back to your notes on Exodus, the first lesson, and it'll tell you when Exodus, we assume, was written. Okay? Now here's some general observations that you need to understand. Why, and from these general observations, you can see why it's important for you and I to read the book of Leviticus. Okay? Here's some general observations. First of all, the book is mostly legislation. 
except for the historical narrative of chapters 8 through 10. So basically that nice little statement is saying this. The book is mostly laws. All right? It's mostly laws, except, except for chapters 8 through 10, which is historical story. That's what narrative means. It's basically laws, except for chapters 8 through 10, which is history. Okay? So when you're reading through it, there's a reason why that it seems dry. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't. And, and then you give up before you get to chapters 8 through 10 because it's, that's where the history is. Okay? So the book is mostly legislation except for the historical narratives of chapters 8 through 10. Now, chapter 1-1 sets the often repeated pattern. 35 times in the book, Yahweh said to Moses. Now, what you see up there is just the characters without the vowels. Yahweh said, okay? Now, I need to just remind you of something. When you, you don't, probably you won't know this, but I'll inform you. Hebrew is an interesting language. Hebrew, even modern day Hebrew, is interesting in that it is a language of consonants. Do you understand what consonants are from grammar, if you remember back to high school or something? Consonants like C, D, F, okay, M, N, okay. Hebrew has no vowels. There's no A, E, I, O, U, okay? There, there, there is no vowels in the Hebrew language, okay? So Yahweh was written by its consonants. Now the Jews felt, because this was the revelation of God's very personal name, they couldn't say Yahweh, so instead they said Jehovah, which has the same consonants, okay? But they wouldn't say Yahweh because that was God's personal name, so they would say Jehovah. So that's why today you'll see a lot of people use the term Jehovah. Have you heard that term before? Jehovah. And in fact, there are some church groups that will talk about they're the Church of Jehovah. You know, and some even really fringe church groups will say they're Yahweh people, followers of Yahweh. Okay. That's the personal name of the Lord. But what you're going to see here is, is that in the book of Leviticus, there is there's a repeated pattern in this book where Yahweh or Jehovah says to Moses that phrase in your in your bible it will be lord all capital letters have you looked at your bible and saw that when it says the lord it's all caps okay that's the english way of telling you that the word lord there is this word Yahweh, okay? It's this word, or Jehovah. So when you read your Bibles, you'll say, oh, wow, big letters, Lord, okay? That's the personal name of the Lord being used there. But it's used 35 times in Leviticus. So 35 times God is revealing his personal name in the text, okay? 
So God is personally speaking to Moses here. All right? Now, there's two themes to the book. Two themes I want you to grasp out of this book. Every book has a theme. And, uh, you know, we would say, like, if you're reading nonfiction, I mean, a fiction book, it has a plot, right? It has somewhere that it's going. This book has a theme. Most books of the Bible, all books of the Bible, have a theme. And there's two thoughts to it here. First of all, the theme of Leviticus is the Israelites believers worship and walk before the Holy God. So one of the themes you're going to see here is it's going to stress the believers, the Israelites believers walk, that's how they live their life, and their worship before a Holy God. All right, so if I know that, even though it's kind of tough working through the Levitical laws, one of the things it's going to reveal to me is that God takes how I walk and how I live my life before him and my worship before him very seriously, okay? You're going to see that there is a seriousness about how we live our lives and about how we worship our God. Do you understand? That's what's going to come out of the book of Leviticus. So when we go through this over the next two to three weeks, you're going to see that we're going to stress that. Okay? We're going to stress that to you. So the theme of Leviticus is the Israelite believers worship and walk before the holy God. All right, let's go on. The verse that reflects this, this, excuse me, the verse that reflects the theme is Leviticus 19.2. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. This is the theme verse for Leviticus. In fact, there is a old, there is a New Testament apostle who wrote a letter who reiterated this very statement. Anybody know who, which apostle, what letter in the New Testament reiterates this? Be holy as I am holy. First Peter. Peter reiterates that. Okay. First Peter. So this, and so what does that mean? The fact that Peter would mention it, if you read his letter, he mentions it. It tells you that God is very serious about you and I leading what? Holy lives. Okay, so let's stop for a moment. I need to make a comment here. You and I, we live in an interesting time where, okay, the time we live in is kind of like judges. We're going to see this when we get to the book of Judges later on. There's an oft-repeated phrase in Judges where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is very much the attitude of believers today in North America, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the reason why we're there today is because a lot of people have reacted to legalism in church. Because can you remember the day when church would tell you where you could and could not go? You can't go to this restaurant. Why? Because it's got a bar. Okay? You can't go to this theater. Why? Because it's Hollywood. You can't watch this on TV. And you can't dress this way. And you can't, ladies especially, you can't dress a certain way. Guys, you can't have facial hair. Why? I mean, I 
thought I read in Isaiah that they ripped his beard out of his face. Jesus had a beard, you know what I'm saying? But you can't have a beard, okay? You can't have long hair, guys. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we, so first of all, when I'm saying these things, I'm watching the reactions on your faces. And here's what the reactions on your faces are. Uh, yeah, I remember, yeah. Isn't that the reaction I'm getting from you guys? Okay. Because it was like, uh, are you kidding me? Like, nobody, what am I, a little child that I can't be, like, I'm really, all I want to do is go eat the steak at that restaurant. I wasn't going to order a beer. You know, I just want to eat the steak. And you're telling me I can't go there because of the bar? I don't even go to the bar. I walk right by it. To my seats, they're separate. Okay. Because of that legalism, which was, okay, that legalism was often referred to as happening because you and I need to be holy. Holy. We rejected that. And so here we are today where everything goes. But the problem is everything can't go. Everything can't go because there are certain things that God says don't do. And those aren't up for discussion and those aren't legalisms. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So the bottom line is, is what has remained constant throughout is God says, I want you to be holy as I'm holy. Well, you say, well, what does that mean for me to be holy? Do what the Bible tells you to do. Don't necessarily do it because I told you to do it. Because I can come up with some, you know, my personal preference about things. You know, if you're going to go out to a restaurant, order sweet tea. That's the law. But the law is even changing for me now. The doctor says, don't order that sweet tea. Get unsweetened, you know. Lay away from the white bread, you know, because it becomes sugar. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, th that's legalism. However, Scripture does say, don't be drunk with wine. Now, this is the word, don't be what? Drunk. The forbidden is drink is drunkenness, okay? That's what you're told not to do. All right, now, how do you know what that is for each person? Nobody knows what that is for each person. Each person is at a different place, right? Do you understand? Everybody's at a different place to know what that is. But you know, holiness for you is taking what God told you to do and applying it to your life. The fact is, is that the stressing of what we need to see here is the key to Leviticus is God's wanting us to be serious about leading holy lives, separate lives to him. That's what we need to see here in this book. All right, let's go on. Let's talk about the outline. So if we're going to work our way through this book, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. All right? First of all, anybody had a question so far? Anybody got a question? All right, so here's how we're going to divide the book of Leviticus, okay? Leviticus can be divided into two main sections, laws concerning approaching God and laws concerning practical holiness. All right, so if you understand this and how it's divided, that will help you get through the book. So there are two main sections, laws concerning approaching God and laws concerning practical holiness, 
Okay? So laws concerning approaching God and laws concerning practical holiness. So let's take a look at these. First of all, laws concerning approaching God. You're going to find this in chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 34. All right? Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 34. So here's what you're going to see. First of all, in chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 38, there's laws concerning sacrifices. Chapter 8 through 10, verse 20, are laws concerning worship at the tabernacle. Now remember, this is the section of the book that has historical narrative, that has history in it. So you're going to see some laws being stressed here about through, especially through some stories of what happened, through some history of what happened here, okay? Then, chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 15, verse 33, we're going to see laws concerning uncleanness. What in the world is that about, George? What that has to do with uncleanness here isn't about necessarily how to taking a bath and, and, and making sure you don't have dirty hands. This has to do with ceremonially being unclean, about whether or not you can approach God, and that there are certain things that made you unclean so that you could not go into the presence of God or into the presence of his people. So those are the laws that we're going to see there. And we'll talk about this when we get to that section. Chapter 16, verses 1 to 34, are laws concerning the Day of Atonement. Okay, remember what the Day of Atonement is. Maybe you don't know. It's the day in which the high priest, a bull would be sacrificed. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, interceding for the sins of Israel up to that point. And I need to mention to you that, that those sins were even, they were the sins of ignorance. Those were sins that you committed ignorantly. Those were not sacrificed. That was not a sacrifice for your intentional sins. Isn't that interesting? Okay? We'll talk about that as we get to it. Okay? The second part of the book is Laws Concerning Practical Holiness, chapter 17, verse 1 through chapter 27, verse 34. So here's what they are. Number one, Laws Concerning Sacrifice and Food. So there are laws there concerning what they could not eat. These are laws that they are still abiding by today. Okay? Still abiding by today. I always find it interesting. Lori, Lori grew up on a farm, and uh, when she was first born, it was a poultry farm. Her grandparents had a poultry farm. Her dad was a part of that. And they would raise chickens, and they would take them down to Pittsburgh, to the Squirrel Hill District. Anybody know what's in the Squirrel Hill district of Pittsburgh? The Jews live there. And they would bring the chickens live to the rabbi to be blessed before they would be killed so that they would therefore be what? Kosher chickens. Did you understand what I'm saying? Kosher chickens. Why would they do that? Levitical laws. Levitical laws about food. All right? Uh, chapter 18, verse 1, through chapter 20, verse 27, laws concerning morality and pagan practices. So there's going to be some laws there about morality, 
and about involvement in pagan practices, okay? Chapters 21, verse 1, through chapters 22, verse 33, you see laws concerning priests and offerings, okay? You're going to see some laws there concerning the priests and the offerings. Laws concerning feasts of the Lord, chapters 23, verses 1 to 44. Chapter 24 is going to be ceremonial and moral laws. Okay? Chapter 25, laws concerning sabbatical and jubilee years. So these were the years that they were to take to not do anything. So we're going to talk about that. And that's going to help you to understand later why the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. Okay? That's connected to them being held captive in Babylon for 70 years. So we're going to explain what the sabbatical years are. Covenant blessings and curses. You see that in chapters 26, 1 through 46. And then in chapters 27, through the end of the book, we're going to see laws concerning vows, gifts, and tithes. Okay? Vows, gifts, and tithes. Now, if you look at your notes, you'll see a diagram there that basically gives you a visual of how the book is divided and uh, the chapters and so forth, okay? How the book is divided and the chapters and so forth, okay? Okay.